Hello and welcome to another episode on the Branches of Learning podcast. This time, I'm really lucky to be able to have a conversation with Heather Garriock. Heather, who played 130 times for the Matildas and has had a career in women's football dating back to 1996, has given us a brilliant insight into her role as a coach in the W League. Heather, who has recently been the coach at Canberra United, talks to us about the importance of setting the right culture, what type of leader she is, and the importance of character within her football club. She gives us some really key messages about women's coaching, and I'm really excited to be able to start the conversation with her, and I hope it's something that you enjoy listening to. If I start off by asking uh, the sort of season that you've had, instead of asking you to reflect on the players, how would you reflect on your type of leadership this season? Um, I think it's been vastly different to the three seasons um, or the previous two seasons I've been at Canberra United. The emphasis a lot, especially um, reflecting on the first two seasons at Canberra United and not making finals. Um, for me, I would always measure things on success, just like other people, is if you win or lose or make finals, where there's other things uh, within that from a team perspective where I can look back on season three and I, I think I've got wins in other ways. and in particular, our culture uh, that we set and the camaraderie amongst the team, um, especially right until the last game, knowing you know, the coach was going to get sacked and also that uh, we had three games to go and we could make finals. Um, still, the culture was there and the foundations were, were set right from the get-go and we really wanted to be a united team and I really think um, we basically uh, walk the talk uh, in this yep. season. And in terms of leadership, it starts from the top. So me with messaging and language and constantly um, talking about uh, what it takes to be a good leader and different actions during training sessions. Um, If a young player had done the wrong thing, we'd always go back to our key message was, did you put you behaviour before I behaviour? And they would answer their own question. We, We had a lot of that during the season a lot of self-reflection even when things weren't going well um, yeah. continue and, and and really reflect back on what our culture uh, was um, during the season and towards the end of the season and also our character and regardless of making finals which is ult- ultimately the, the goal um, it still reflects on you as a player yeah and can you can you think of any times where because I guess that the main focus or aim is to have a group that self-manages and self-policing and that's obviously a true reflection of of leadership in in essence. Can you recall any any times where you saw that happen, um, or, yeah. or aware that it did happen? Because I guess sometimes the group will keep it from the coach if they are doing that. Yeah. Um, can you can you can you mention any 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 times that you saw that happen? Yeah, it happened a lot of time, and there was times it happened, and I was oblivious to it, um, which is great. And I only found out weeks or months after um, things occurred whether someone had been late or someone had misbehaved and and done the wrong thing and hadn't been at recovery, the captains and the leadership group would nip that in the bud. Um, But one particular time um, through the season, we got a quality young player and um, we had the captain who, uh, we had two co-captains and the captain had uh, missed the tackle and then walked back and 
I reiterated the point in the in the intervention or when we had had a half time to the small side of games, and I said, look, at the end of the day, if a player beats you, then she's beat you with your skill. One thing I'd like to see is attitude and effort, and that comes down to our character, which is one of our values, and I really think it's important to see that. Um, now, let's go to the second half of the small side game, and let's implement that. Same thing happened again. Captain got beat, and she, she walked back. Anyway, I stopped the session, and um, I said, do you think that's, that's leadership behaviour? And she said, no, it's not. So basically, uh, she... She was, I, I um, put her on the sideline, and the young player had said to me, uh, why did you do that? We're going to be a play down. And I said, that's exactly right. You're going to be a play down. You're going to be a play down when she's walking back anyway. So that mm. occurred. Um, that was that was a message, and I just said to the player at the particular time, um, you need to understand why as opposed to that. And then after the session, um, it finished for me, but after the session, the captain had brought the young player in, she brought me in, and she basically explained, I didn't even speak, she explained to the young player um, that her behaviour wasn't leadership behaviours and she wasn't putting you before our behaviours, and that by the young player interjecting, it was great that she was trying to stick up for the captain, but in saying that, the most important thing is to respect the coach. And um, in terms of the message that I was trying to get across is about attitude and effort, and that's... You can't really coach attitude and effort. It's intrinsic and that it's important that we get on with what we, we, we had to do. So that, that comes from the captain, that she yeah. pulled the young player aside based on what happened through that, that moment. So I thought that was a really good example and that was something that I, I didn't... Um, I didn't. I guess I didn't um, prep. Yeah, okay. And you mentioned there and, and, and previously as well about the you before I... Um, way of dealing with things. How did that get developed and can you just talk a little bit about um, what that meant to you and, and what that meant to the players? Yeah, I think it's um, really really hard for a coach to continue to be everything. So at the start of the season I brought in um, probably one of the most successful female coaches Australia's produced and her name's Carrie Graff. She's a basketball coach and culture is something that um, she felt very big, big about. We had a, a meeting at the start of the season and we spoke about uh, what the Opals had done in the past, um, you know, through their Olympic campaigns and what, whatever. And then we decided to create uh, three paragraphs um, of what we'd like to be perceived as, so three different themes um, of Canberra United. And the biggest theme was about um, was about putting uh, you before I behaviours. So in everything that we did whilst it's important to focus on ourselves, then you before I, and then we, we spoke about um, open and honest um, behaviours, and the third thing was um, tenacity. So being tenacious in all actions. So it was done by the team, so the team spoke about words, and we put all the words on the board that we wanted to be perceived um, from the outskirts, or from people's perception, fans, community, etc. And that's that's how we come up with that. And we had those stuck around the change room throughout the whole season. And we I continue to refer back to them, either in training or um, also during the games when they were above the jerseys. And I could say, were you tenacious in your jewels today, such and such? And then she'd reply, yes, I was. No, I wasn't. How can you be? So yeah. it, it, it's really important um, that you continue to refer back to it. There's no point in doing all your values and culture when you don't refer back to it. Yeah, and I guess that is probably something that 
good intentions a lot of coaches will do is have those initial meetings set the set the plan out discuss things and then it's left to just be you know quotes on a wall and and nice slides and powerpoints when actually it's, it's not lived or it's not developed and did you set a point in time where you would revisit that or did that just happen organically as a group and it was just constantly reviewed or was there a time where you went back to the drawing board and had a look at it uh, on your own no we'd, we'd review it every week so um we had player reviews every week, so every week they'd get sent a, a um, player review um, through the inbox after the game, and then they'd have to review those behaviours, whether they'd done those in training, whether they'd done, done the, the behaviours in the game, and if they, they had, um, explain a good example on what you did for you before I behaviour. Maybe it's I put my arm around a player that didn't make the team this week, or another player that said, um, I knew that... Uh, you know, the balls needed to be pumped up and I, I didn't do it. I just walked past one of the young players while they were doing it. So how can you do that better for next week? So on a weekly basis, they were reviewed and then they'll talk about in the review. So, yeah, we'd, we'd visit them every week. And from a um, from a Canberra United perspective, is that something that the playing group uh, and the, the non-playing staff, now that you've departed, would or should be expected to keep going? And is it then the case, if not, that any new coach that comes in um, changes things and, and to a degree will always do things their own way, but but does the yeah the tail wag the dog and does the coach keep changing things for the players? Or if this has been developed by the players, is there value in any new coach going to any new club, embracing and adopting what's gone before? How, how do you see that? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because um, if you walk into a living or a Manchester United, um, they would have a style, or Barcelona, that's probably a, a great example as well. They have a style in which they, they've got to play that they select the coach based on their philosophy and style of play um, for that particular club. So they're the big clubs. It's, we obviously don't have that same um, same thing at, um, at a, a club level or an MPL level, but it, it's easy to be able to manage that from an organisation point of view. So to answer your question, um, my my philosophies and my vision um, was just my my own, what I brought into Camp United the last three years. I don't think it would be implemented um, going forward because when you bring in a new coach, new coaches want to do their own thing, whereas it's up to the organisation to create their own culture, to create, create their own vision and create their own philosophy and their own style of play. And no, Camp United hasn't done that. So I'd say it's going to be completely different when the new coach walks in. Yeah, and and you mentioned one of the, the bigger clubs there in, in Man United, and the case has been that there has been obviously in previous managers a philosophy, a, a playing style, but beyond that, a, a culture that's been implemented, that's led by the, the the leader, the manager, the coach. Yeah, that's been managed down quite effectively because you've seen different playing styles, different attitudes in players, but it's obviously not been managed up. Um, and I guess what you're talking about there is. In, in developing these things for the club and you've been the, the person in the middle to do this that above you needed that needed to be engaged in the process is that something that you would do in the future if you went to a new club and, and say to, to the people above this is what we're actually developing and it's not just you before I for the players it's you before I for the club and firstly if you agree with that do you want to be a part of it and if you don't how do you see the club so that when I do leave, if I do leave, and inevitably most people will move on at some point, 
Yeah. It's not all been for nothing, and actually you've got to control over what you're seeing on the pitch and, and, and give you an idea of who you want to employ next. Yeah, and that's been one of my biggest learnings, um, walking away, and um, self-reflection is is a big thing, and it's a big thing to grow, and I think um, the answer is yes. And I also see um, people look at having a culture and a style of play just for big clubs and just for professional clubs. Um, my my dream would be to, to see every club, um, whether you're in Perth or whether you're in Sydney or the, diff- the different clubs, have their own style of play, have their own, own culture that you can walk in. But it takes, especially for a lot of volunteers out there and a lot of clubs that don't have the resources, it takes something very, a person um, in particular that's lived it, similar to what I've, I've just done, it takes a lot of expertise to be able to pass that on. But what's saying that um, in terms of my expertise, I can't pass that on on a process and, and ways in which you can develop your own and you can see that different clubs are playing a different style of play or playing from under, under nines right up until first grade. Um, that's that, that would be beautiful. And I think yeah. this same culture um, can do that. It's just about someone helping and, and, and helping um, develop that with them. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think some clubs will, have the idea and, and there'll be lots of people probably listening that want that for their club or are trying to implement that at their club but it, it's about having time, resources, expertise is a key thing and then buy-in, buy-in from, from the people that matter um, and sometimes that's that's really difficult. But no, that's a really, really good insight, Heather, so I appreciate that. Um, are you able to talk a little bit about some of the pillars or some of the, the steps um, or, or how you... I guess, um, shorten what we've just t- spoke about into the, the key three areas that we, we talked about previously? Mostly about culture building? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the key areas and the question you need to ask yourself is how do we as a club want to be perceived? So what do we want to stand for in, um, in terms of, um, you know, what actions and, um, you know, what, what we'd like to to stand for and it has to come from the playing group to be able to for them to buy into it you can't be told the coach can't tell the players what we're standing for because it comes with buy-in and then it comes with um you know revisiting that um that buy-in and then you also need to look at the style of play uh, which is which is a big thing as well and being consistent with that style of play and continually um keeping it simple with the style of play but also re um you know, coming back to it uh, as well and learning and developing and increasing the hardness of your sessions and, and playing. And then the, the last thing is um, is the training environment, is the training environment in which you set. The players are going to um, play the way they train. So I think that is, is a foundation of uh, success um, both on or off the field and its behaviours. Yeah, okay. And... I think um, what what the common theme is here is is not stopping cultures, not stopping behaviours once the, the balls are back in the bag and the players have showered and the players have changed, um, and and that's really easy for for players to get into the habit of not doing. Is okay, I've I've got my boots off and now I'm gonna forget about the cultures, forget about the environment. So yeah, I guess that's that's a really good thing for people to take on board. Is is when the the players, the children get out the car, it starts then. And it, and it it stops, or maybe it doesn't ever stop, but it at least 
for them the experience should, should change once they get back in the car and they leave. Yeah, exactly. And and parents can play a really huge part in that. Uh, I think parents are instrumental in the development of, of young children developing and, and um, being successful. And successful not in a way of playing for Australia or playing A-League or W-League or whatever it is. It's it's more being successful as a person and that's what sport enables these kids to do. And it's such a, a great role for parents to play to be able to inspire, empower and educate these children. Yeah, no, thanks. Okay, so um, Heather, the only female coach in the W League last year, how was that for you and how um, either pleased are you about that personally or bothered about that are you from a broader perspective? I see myself as a coach and I never refer refer to myself as a female coach, but it's understandable that um, there's very few female coaches in our game and the reason for that is is you get past players that don't want to come back into into um, the game because um, you know it's similar as a, as a player you spend a lot of your life contributing to a passion and getting paid very little and in terms of the pathways um, for female coaches um, there's very little and people are going to have a think about well, what's the difference between Male coaches and female coaches, well, there's a lot of difference because from a male perspective, there's NPL jobs, there's first grade jobs, there's a lot of A-league clubs, there's a lot of clubs underneath, there's technical director roles. In terms of women's coaches, there's um, very, very little and none probably next season in the W League, I'd say. Um, And that's the reason why uh, there's no pathway to it. There's no career um, and you go and do your C, D, A pro diploma licence, which is probably all up, worth about 50K. And there's no full-time job at the end of it. So there's, I think, one full-time role um, in football for a female coach and she's, uh, that's Leah Blaney currently and that's in Sydney. So that's the only full-time role that a female is undertaking at the moment. Everything else is trying to make ends meet. Yeah, and how do you, how would you see that changing from a, a grassroots level in terms of getting women involved? Firstly, what would the message be to women that would like to get involved at that entry point, and how can we make things easier, um, whether that's FFA or from coach workshops, coach education? Um, how can we we help them in that journey? I think um, us us females um, have a role to play and especially if you've got daughters or sons or whatever it is. I think we've got a role to play. We need to be a role models for our children and to have um, mums and females uh, coaching, it just gives that um, insight and that um, person that they want to see, that, that, that they want to be like, and it's, it's contributing to the development. Um, on the other side of things, being able to create more of a... a a pathway for coaches it's about uh, women stepping out and being able to you know uh, wanting to wanting to um, coach at a grassroots level instead of letting dad do it um, mums can do it as well but it's more about um, the confidence and I guess the stereotype that um, oh really mum's going to coach coach the boys under eight, eight team um, it's not it's not really um, a thing so I just think trying to change the perception. I think um, the football coaches of Australia 
um, are doing fantastic things at the moment, trying to create female mentor programs. They've got monthly workshops um, via via Zoom, which is a which is a virtual um, conference every month, and it's it, it's been really inspiring to see the amount of women wanting to take part. But the big thing is, is the reason why they don't want, they don't want to step out is because of lack of confidence or they're not sure. So it's more about being confident and stepping out. And um, you know, most of the mums um, and and females that want to be part of it, uh, they they do such a fantastic job, especially in coaching. Yeah, and and if I guess they do, and I would say from a a region that I'm working in, that it is really well represented, and there are um, a lot of people doing a lot to try and um, improve, the, you know, the, the level of the female the female involvement in the game, and, and not just necessarily more females playing, but getting more women involved and getting more awareness of that. Yeah. But ultimately, there will come a point where where women will say, "Do I need to go and get qualified for grassroots?" and um, some of the, the questions that I've been asked before is, you know, I'm not sure I know enough. I'm not sure I've got the time to do that. And, and even if the clubs are saying, look, you don't need official qualifications, what could help them um, feel more confident? And how would you see um, people like myself and people who can deliver um, a service to, to coaches in the game? How yeah. can we help them with that without them feeling the need to go and spend hours getting qualified? Yeah, well, we need to be adaptable to their situation. Um, you know, if you've got several kids like I do, I've got three kids, Is um, the last thing you want to do is go out on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night to go and um, get, that, get that course because that might be night that they're training on for the kids and whatever. So we need to have a happy medium where the courses don't run for a certain amount of time, but the education is there. So maybe it's it's half and half, a little bit face-to-face, and others sent sent via... via um, email or you can do an online course that takes a little amount of time. There needs to be adaptability and flexibility in what um, we're delivering. It can't just be one size fits all because that's that's just not accommodating. And for a lot of a lot of females, it's just not because um, a lot of them are mothers. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and obviously from there, the, the things that you've talked about, commitments to, to kids, a lot of their kids are probably actually playing sport at the time. It's not involved at the club that they're at. So, yeah, it's something that we can all, I guess, put our heads together and work on and I guess the next step from there isn't primarily to produce professional footballers but is to just produce more numbers in the game from a, a female perspective is that right yeah exactly and I, I just think um, for women even being involved in football it, it's so instrumental in the lives of these young kids that see mum mum uh, being being a coach or um, dad working in the canteen, or dad being the manager of of mums under under twelve um, girls team or boys team or a mixed team. So I just think it's it's just so important. And there's nothing better than being able to go to football on a Saturday morning uh, with the whole family, knowing that um, you guys are contributing to the development of these young kids, especially in the future. Yeah, and I guess would it be um, a question to to think about? Would it be a sensible move for clubs to look to implement almost a positive discrimination strategy where we have to have a minimum amount of female coaches and work towards that? Or is it best to just let it happen and if it happens, it happens? No, I'm a big believer. And I, this time last year, I would have said, no, just let's see if we can let it happen organically. Well, guess what? It's not going to happen organically because 
Uh, we get to the Olympics this year and there's 11% of coaches that are female at the Olympic Games. Last Olympic Games, I think there was about 12% and the Olympic Games before that, I think there was about 14%. So we're declining rapidly. So we need quotas. We need quotas on boards. We need quotas from an executive point of view. We need quotas for coaches. We need quotas for admin uh, people um, from a female uh, perspective, especially a great example uh, is the U.S. college system. Whatever they spend on the men um, for for U.S. college, let's say if it's a boys' soccer program or a men's soccer program, they have to spend exactly the same on the women. And how successful has that been? That is that is a no-brainer. Yeah. So yes, I think we need quotas, and I think they need to be implemented as soon as possible. So we see the we see the um, the we see females flourishing. No, excellent. And that's that's a really good point and one that we can certainly take on board uh, and ensure clubs and coaches and, and, and teachers uh, that are listening can just think about that and realise that it isn't just going to happen and there's a need for it to happen. Um, and, and let's hope that yeah things can start to happen for, from our perspective where we are to, to make that happen quicker and for us to get more females in the game. We obviously spoke about that creating professional footballers isn't the overall aim, and it's about no. just getting more women into the game. Can you just talk a little bit about Sam Kerr and your experiences with her and how um, how big a role model she is for people over here, especially in the Southwest? And now she's obviously gone over to Chelsea. We see less of her, which is you know sad for I'm sure lots and lots of girls locally. But yeah, just, can you just talk a little bit about her? What was she like as a as a young girl coming into the game? And why do you feel she's been successful? Yeah, I think um, I think Sam's a really good example, and I would say she's she's um, definitely a great Australian role model for sport, and especially for female sport. And it's because she started a little bit later um, playing football. She didn't start at the normal age of five or six years old and play every single year. She was very sporty anyway, and I don't think she started until she was about nine or ten years old. Yeah. playing football but she ultimately she comes from a sporting background obviously a brother played at a high level with AFL uh, Daniel so I just think she didn't take it so seriously initially she just loved to play and when you love the game and when you're passionate about something then you just do it and she, she, I would call her a free spirit um, she just do it naturally now um, there's been promo videos of Sam um, happening for, for the last 12 months to 18 months since she's become big time. But I guess my, my first memory of Sam um, when I thought, oh, this kid's got something, is um, Sydney FC. Um, I was playing for Sydney FC and we are playing against Perth. And Perth um, weren't always the best team. Um, and Sydney FC was obviously one of the top teams. But I remember Sam going down the right-hand side and I, I went to um, to... Know, jockey her and she's just cut the ball um, in and um, she's got her on a right peg and she's probably about 45 yards out towards the sideline and the ball's just gone in the back of the net and they've replayed that just in the last couple of weeks um, that particular footage and yeah. that's when I realised that she's just got something but she did it so effortlessly and she's gone through gone through a football career and she's had adversity and she's had injuries and she's had really bad injuries and she's a cheeky kid and I still call her a kid because I look at her um, still. But she's had adversity, and it wasn't until adversity come her way by doing her knee injuries, that's when she started to take football seriously and, and treat it as a pr pr profession. And for that to happen, while people think 
you know, adversity and things that happen that are bad, they actually change who you are and they change what what it's all about. And I think um, Sam's perspective changed on football um, in that particular time and that made her a better player. Um, and that's by working hard and treating your body like a like a temple, as, as us professionals say. And um, I think it really changed her perspective. And she still plays with this smile on her face and she's just such a great role model um, in that area because... She plays with freedom and free spirit, and I think um, every person can learn from that. So you see young players um, really trying to want to make it and play for, for their national team. Well, it's about enjoyment, and if you don't enjoy it and you've got mum and dad on your back saying, how come you didn't do this and how come you didn't do that, then you're not going to enjoy it. So enjoyment is the first and foremost thing, and everything else comes after after that. Yeah. And, and that's, um, yeah, no, that's a really, really good insight onto keeping it fun and, and what she's obviously done now. And you know you're hitting the big time, and she'll become a, a you know a global icon for for not just female football, but just football in general. Because I know every you know everyone knows who Sam Kerr is in this country, and, and I'm sure in Europe they will start to yeah. learn very quickly. Would you say that the need to follow the pathway is more important than the need to do the right things internally, look after your body, enjoy it, like you said, have a good family, have good role models, because a lot of children are feeling the need to follow a pathway the pathway is there is there is that true and was that true for sam and if not what are the the pathways in your opinion because i know america and scholarships that that are there for for, for girls obviously sam didn't go and do that so where's where's that at yeah i think the best advice anyone um can take from i guess this podcast is I don't think there is one pathway. There's many pathways and you need to make your own pathway. So whilst there's structures and structures in place from Football Federation Australia on where they think the pathway should be, um, no, it's your own pathway. So I just think personally the fundamentals to the pathway is you have to work extremely hard from a technical point of view because the moment you hit 14 years old, 15 years old, it's very hard to to go away from that and learn that, that between 8 and 14 are the golden years of being able to um, develop from a technical point of view. Um, So the foundation is technical and then obviously you need to be part of uh, of, um, elite teams and challenge yourself, whether it's boys training with girls or vice versa, and then try and make the state teams. But it's it's not always... um, going to happen like that. You could play for the Mini Matildas, which is the under-17 national team, and never play for the Matildas, which is 2% of players do that um, in our country. But you need to continue to enjoy it, and you need to um, sometimes sway out of the pathway to then go back into what you think is maybe W League, might make W League, so or even A League for the, for the lads, or National Youth League for the lads. But um, there's no one pathway, and that's I think it's really important to, to know that. Um, it's about you developing um, your own, um, I guess, your own niche and trying to develop yourself. And yes, nutrition, yes, physical comes into it. And most importantly, and one thing that we don't touch on is the mental side of things as well. And that's um, that's crucial. Yeah, and, and I guess it's, it's so important. I can just speak on a, a regional point of view that I find it... Um, yeah, so hard to fathom that a pathway would work for every girl in the region or in the state and that that pathway would be the pathway for everyone because I can think of a, a couple of girls in particular now that are driving 
two, three, four, five, six, seven hours a week, maybe more, to train with girls um, in state squads um, when actually their environment might need to be different because of the travel and the commitment and the time and the school and that mental capacity to sit in that car and prepare for it and then drive home when there might be things closer to home that would would look different but might actually be just as beneficial when you when you put all the factors in and take them all out um, and we want just girls to understand that, that that can be the case and just look at their own journey their own picture um, first and feel and figure out where the pathway fits in with them, not the other way around. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer of that. Um, being in Canberra the last couple of years, I've seen um, some girls drive to Sydney for training sessions, three hours there, three hours back. Mm. And you know what? As an ex-pro, there is no way that I would be able to perform in a training session for the couple of hours that the training session is, driving three hours there, training and driving three hours back, not to mention schoolwork involved in that. And then the fundamental thing of recovery and for you to get your body right and that sleep, lack of sleep, no, I, my children would never do that. There, there has to be something within your area. And if there's not something, then create something. And girls are a little bit easier than boys because the girls can then train with the boys, especially after the age of 14 or 15, from a physical point of view. There's a lot of difference, but girls can always train with the boys to be able to keep up. And I encourage, uh, I encourage um, girls to train with the boys as much as possible. I think it's fantastic. No, well, that's that's excellent, and I think that's a good point to finish on um, because that that's something that from from where we are and, and obviously where you are as well, it can people can really relate to that. So, look now, Heather, I really want to thank you for your time. Um, I know that there's there's certainly pages and pages of notes that I've taken, and I would <laughs> urge people to do the same because it's been excellent. And um, yeah, we wish you all the, all the very best in in what you've got coming up in your in your journey. And I'm Thanks. sure we'd love to see you over in WA sometime and working with some of our girls and, and passing on all that expertise and knowledge yep, in our enough. environment. Hopefully I can, I can get to Perth at some stage and be able to catch up with some of these young boys and girls. So an excellent insight there from Heather and one that we're really grateful to her for. If you are a female listening or know of females that want to get into the game, whether that's as a player or as a coach, please get in touch with us because we can help. We've currently got lots of girls who are coming into our programs and we'd love to give you the opportunity of seeing how we can help you develop and, and upskill yourself in both areas, both as a player or as a coach. Our email is pft at mlfc.com.au or go onto our Facebook page, which is Pro Football Training. And from there, we can give you the best information on how we can help. Please do share our episode too, because I'm sure that through your avenues and your clubs and your schools, we can help share the message and, and obviously pass on all that information that Heather's given to us. Until uh, the next episode, I will look forward to hearing your feedback and reading some of the comments on how this has helped you with your teams uh, in regards to, to women's football and coaching in general. So uh, thank you very much and goodbye.